Today I'm going to continue the series called Encountered by the Holy Spirit. And if you're with us on January 1 and January 2nd, or January 1 and January 8, I was casting vision for our church. And I said, I believe that God is speaking two words to this community and two words to us as individuals. And I also said to you that I think some of you might be a little bit burned out in your life. Some of you might be feeling like your reserves are not full and that you need to be filled. And some of you are feeling maybe you're a little bit bored with your relationship with God, or maybe some of you are disappointed and you're thinking, is that all that there is for my life? You're just disappointed because you expect more and you're hoping for more. And some of you are just having a great last year and you anticipate a good year. And I said to you that I believe that God is speaking two words to us. And those two words are, get ready. I believe that God's speaking that to us as individuals and to us as a community, and I believe that God wants to do something big in each of us and each of our hearts this year. And I'll be honest with you, when I heard these two words, get ready, and I was talking about that in January, I had no idea really of the meaning of get ready. I mean, what does get ready mean? Get ready, you're going to be surprised, or get ready, you need to prepare for something. But I said those two words anyway because I knew sooner or later I would understand what get ready means. And that understanding came a few days earlier. Last week I was listening to a podcast by one of my favorite preachers, and I was actually looking through 528 of his podcast, and randomly I said, that one looks good. And it was a good idea because I heard the words get ready when he was reading the scripture. He was reading from Joshua 1, and in that chapter it says get ready. And I probably, even if I would have read that in my Bible, I probably would have skipped over that because he was reading from a translation I normally don't read from. And so it made me very curious to see those words get ready. So I want to talk to you today about what does it mean to get ready. But before I do that, I want to remind you of two other verses that I think are going to be significant for us as individuals in a community this year. And the first is from 1 Corinthians 3.9 that says, For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. And I love that scripture, and I think that speaks to us because God is reminding us that we are his co-workers. Oh, dang, thank you. Already off. The first one and I'm off. And I even put it in red in my notes like that means click. So I love that verse because it reminds us that the God who created the heavens and earth is saying to us, hey, I need to partner with you. I need your help on earth. And then we see too, it says, you are God's field. It's that imagery that you are a garden, which God is growing up to make a beautiful garden. And then you are God's building. He's building you into something. And the next scripture that we have this year is Yahweh will always guide you where to go and what to do. He will fill you with refreshment even when you are in a dry, difficult place. He will continually restore strength to you so that you will flourish like a well-watered garden and like an ever-flowing, trustworthy spring of blessings. Your people will rebuild long deserted ruins, building anew on foundations laid long before you. You will be known as repairers of cities and restorers of community. Again, this is the whole imagery of a garden of God saying, this is what I want your life to look like. I want your life to look like a well-watered garden. And what do we do as individuals when we see a garden? We stop and we look at it. When you see a well-watered garden, a beautiful garden, you are drawn towards it because it's its beauty. And I believe that's the same thing that God wants to do in our life. He wants to make us well-watered gardens so other people look at your life and say, that is amazing. 
that is fantastic. That is an incredible testimony. And that is what God wants to do in your life. He wants to do something so magnificent in your life that other people are drawn to it and saying, how did that all happen? And so I believe these two verses are good for us as a community to really look at this year. And we will continue to look at them throughout the year because we are anticipating that God is building us into a well-watered garden. But we need to get ready. We need to get ready. So what does it mean to get ready? Let me read to you from Joshua 1, where the scripture is, get ready. Okay, I'm going to read it here. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will expand from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite countries, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and be courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now this is an interesting text. The Lord is instructing the Israelites who are standing on the banks of the Jordan River to get ready. Now you might recall this is not the first time the Israelites were standing on the edge of a body of water that they had to cross. You might remember a few pages earlier in Exodus 14, the Israelites are on the edge of the Red Sea. The Israelites had just gotten out of captivity. They'd been enslaved in Egypt for 200 years. They finally get out. They're finally on their way to the promised land. And what happens? Pharaoh decides from Egypt, I kind of want those Israelites back. So he sends his army after the Israelites. And the Israelites are trapped on the Red Sea in front of them. And to the right and to the left, there's mountains. And they have absolutely no place that they can go. Well, for all purposes, it looks like they're going to be captured by the Egyptians and killed. And God doesn't say to them when they're standing on the edge of that river to get ready. He says something different to them. He says, don't be afraid and stand firm. We read it in Exodus 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you today. It makes you wonder. How come one time God says to the people, just stand firm? And the next time he sends to him, get ready. Two different instructions. You kind of wonder what's the difference. When you say to the people, just stand firm and have faith, you're basically saying, stand there and just trust in God. But the next time we're in the river, he's saying, no, I want you to get ready. I want you to do something as well. One time that looks like God's just going to do it for you. And the next time he wants you to participate. We'll be honest, probably that Red Sea miracle when God divided the Red Sea, that's probably one of the biggest miracles in the Bible. 
It's one of the biggest things that God did. And if you read over the text in Exodus 14, it does tell you that the Israelites thought that they were going to die. They thought there was no other option there. And that is a beautiful instruction that the God gave to the Israelites when they're on their ends of the Red Sea. He said, look, you just stand firm and you trust in me. Because we all have Red Sea days in our life. We have days in our life that there is nothing that we can do to get out of the situation that we're in. There's nothing that we could imagine that we could do, but God has to come in and rescue us. And that's what God did in the Red Sea. It's kind of a picture of how you came into a relationship with God. That God supernaturally rescued you. You couldn't get ready. You couldn't be prepared. God just came in your life and started to change your heart to have you come into a relationship with him. And we love Red Sea days. We love it when God just does something supernatural. Whether it be healing or deliverance or leading you into salvation, we like those days. But then there's days where God says to you, get ready. In other words, there's days that God says to you, you need to participate in what I'm going to do. See, when the Israelites were standing on the edge of the Jordan River, as we read in Joshua, they're standing on the edge of their inheritance. They're standing on the edge of all that God had promised them. One step further into the Jordan River and then they would cross the other side. They would be in the promised land that they'd been hoping for. But they had to get ready. And if they didn't get ready and take one step forward, they would have remained in the wilderness. See, their whole future depended on one little step. One little step would decide, decide the future of their life. Now, you might say, well, that's an easy decision. Who would not want to cross the Red Sea and get into the promised land? But for many people, life in the wilderness is as good as it gets. For some people, life in the wilderness, as far as they get, and they never in, get into the promised land, they never experience the fullness of everything that God has for them. Tyler Statton refers to this group of people as wilderness people. People who get delivered out of captivity, but they never experience all that God has for them. They get out of Egypt, but Egypt never gets out of them. They're saved, they follow Jesus, but they never experience all that God has for them. Those are wilderness people. As you might recall from the story in Exodus that the God delivered all the people out of Israel all the Israelites out of Egypt, they were supposed to get into the promised land, but an entire generation never got out of the wilderness. They stayed in the wilderness their entire life. They're wilderness people. They had access to get in the promised land, but they wouldn't stand firm. They wouldn't trust God, and they wouldn't get ready. So they remained wilderness people. We don't want to be wilderness people. We want to be people that get into the promised land, that we receive the inheritance of the goodness that God has for us. It's interesting, this talk of the promised land even started in the book of Genesis when God spoke to Abraham. And he said, someday your descendants, you will inherit the promised land. You will get into the land which was called Canaan, which later became known as Israel. And it was this beautiful land that God talked to Abraham about. He said, this is a land that has brooks and it has rivers. All the water you need will be provided. Not only did you have water, but you had healthy soil to produce all the food that you needed. The scripture describes this as a land flowing with milk and honey. Not only would this soil be good for agriculture, but it would be a good place for shepherding. It would be a good place to raise your sheep and your cattle. Everything the Israelites needed was in the promised land. 
Not only that, but the, the, the location of the land would provide them with a perfect temperature to live in and the perfect temperature for their cattle as well as the mountains on the right and left would protect them from their enemies. But it's interesting. Abraham knew he would never get into the promised land. God told Abraham, he said, there's going to be four generations after you that will not get in the promised land. Even your kids, even um, some of your descendants will have to experience slavery. But you know what's interesting? Abraham held on to the promise. He never discounted and says, well, I'm not going to go, so what big deal? But Abraham held on to the promise because he wanted his kids to get in the promised land. He wanted his descendants to get in the promised land. See, you and I are not Abraham. We don't have to miss getting into the promised land. None of us have to miss experience the fullness that God has for us because of Jesus. We have access to cross over any obstacle that's in front of us so we can live in the fullness that God has for us. So in this year, we want to make sure that we are fully promised land people. Some of us are experienced some of the promised land, but not entirely all of it. Some of you might feel like I'm stuck in the wilderness. I don't feel like I'm really experiencing the full blessings that God has for you, me. Well, this is a good year, but this is a year to get ready. So the question is, how do you get ready? If you remember, we read in, in, in Joshua 1-7, this is how you get ready. Be strong, be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's how you get into the promised land. That is the instruction God gave to the Israelites. That is how you get ready. So what does it mean to be strong and courageous? That's the first commandment. See, so you read that, and sometimes we think, well, that must mean I need to have a lot of self-confidence. That must mean I must look at my skills and my ability and say, yeah, I'm strong enough, I can do that. But that's not God's instruction to Joshua. That's not his instruction to the Israelites. Instead, what God's saying to them is you need to have confidence in me. The bold courage that Joshua would need to lead the people across the Jordan River would be to have confidence in God's faithfulness, to have confidence in God's power, to have confidence that God is the good shepherd. Self-confidence is not what God is looking for for any of us. And that's a great relief because a lot of people think, I don't have the ability. A lot of people struggle with self-confidence. A lot of people struggle with thinking, well, I don't have a good enough skill set. I don't have a good enough ability. I'll never amount to anything. Well, if you feel that way, well, that's unfortunate. But the good news is you don't have to have self-confidence. You need to stand still and have confidence in the faithfulness of God. And that's what God's saying to the Israelites. It doesn't depend on your ability or your inability. It depends on your faith and trust and confidence in me. So that's where the Israelites start. That's the first step of getting ready, saying God is faithful. And God is a good shepherd. And God will do what he says to do. I love the footnote in the Passion Translation that describes the word courageous. It says to be courageous means to translate your convictions into bold actions. That's great. Cur 
courage. Translate you. Translate your convictions into bold actions. How many of you have a lot of convictions in your heart right now? How many of you have a lot of convictions what God's calling you to do or God's telling you to lay down or God's encouraging you with? That's where the courage comes in. The courage is in the confidence that God is going to give you the ability. So how does that happen? How do you get the courage in God? Well, the next instruction is, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn it from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. God's instruction to Joshua is simple. You got your Bible? Start reading it. Start living by it. If Joshua wants to experience all that God has for him, it's going to come down to two-part formula. Number one, Joshua's commitment to trusting in God and Joshua's commitment to reading the Word of God. That's what God is saying to Joshua. That's what he's saying to us if you want to be successful. Trust in me and follow my word. So how do we do that? In verse 8 it says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. As one commentary says, for Joshua, reading the word of God wasn't good enough. It's not just reading a little scripture here and there, but what he had to do, it had to be on his lips, as the scripture says. That means you talk about it. It means you read it out loud. That means you discuss it with other people. And the second instruction is that you have it on your mind. That means you meditate on the scripture. You let it absorb in you. You read the scripture over and over and you seek God and saying, what are you saying in the scripture? And the third thing is, then you do what it's calling you to do. You got to be obedient to the word. It's not simply reading it and letting it go, but reading the word, talking about meditating on it and doing what it calls you to do. And then you will be prosperous and successful. Well, that's good. We all want to be prosperous and successful. But it's kind of interesting because in the Bible, prosperity and success isn't what it means in our American culture. Our American culture, usually prosperous and successful, means accumulation. It means bank accounts. It's having more of everything. But in Christianity, success is defined differently. I think Brandon Young says it best. He says, in Christianity, success is obedience to God. That is a successful Christian life. Are you being obedient to God? That's what it comes down to. Your success isn't determined by your job or your career. It's determined by, are you being obedient to God? Brandon Young goes on to say, success is obedience to God, empowered by the Spirit of God, motivated by love for God, and directed towards the advancement of His kingdom. That is success. When you're following God, you're motivated by the love for God, and you want to advance His kingdom. See, real success begins by obeying God's command to repent, believing in Jesus, and following him in all the areas of his life. If you are a follower of Jesus and you live a life of repentance and following him, you're a successful person. You're a successful person. Now let's remember, uh, success, biblical success, does not mean a life void of problems. You're still going to have obstacles. You're still going to have challenges in your life. But that doesn't negate the presence and the power of God in your life. And then verse 9 is so encouraging because God ends his instructions on how to get ready by saying, have I not commanded you? In other words, 
you got to remember this part. Be strong and courageous. Again, you trust in me. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the compassion of God reminding the Israelites. Part of getting ready is trusting in the fact that he is your good shepherd. That he is the one leading you and guiding you and directing you. You want to get from the one side of the Jordan River into the fullness that God has for you. The good shepherd's going to do it for you. That's encouraging. Getting ready isn't all up to you and I. It's not all up to how well we can do it all. The big part is trusting in God and his faithfulness that he is going to lead you. See, part of our inheritance, part of us living in the promised land is seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Part of our inheritance is standing firm, trusting that the Holy Spirit is actively doing things in our life. See, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a, I want to talk two parts about the Holy Spirit, about when you get the Holy Spirit and how you get more of the Holy Spirit. See, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, there's times that you stand firm and trust God, and part of getting more of the Holy Spirit is getting ready and doing what you need to do. So the first, that's good, I like a little feedback there. For the first question is, when did you get the Holy Spirit? Some people wonder, when did I get the Holy Spirit? See, you receive the Holy Spirit simply by standing firm and trusting in God. Let me make it pretty simple for you. If you are saved, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit because of the grace and kindness of God. All you had to do was stand firm and believe in Jesus, and you receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, you really can't be saved without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was instrumental in leading you into a relationship with Jesus. The fact that you have Jesus in your life means the Holy Spirit was actively doing something in you. Now, to give you the confidence that you really have the Holy Spirit, let's read from Titus. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed this kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth in life through his Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. See, that's the goodness of God. 1 Corinthians 12 is going to say the same thing. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Paul goes on in Romans to say the same thing, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then finally in Ephesians, after that you believed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's the good news of receiving Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. And I recognize some people might have found Jesus, got saved by and, and followed Jesus, but they don't recognize that they have the Holy Spirit. But you do. Some people go through a reawakening of realizing, I have the Holy Spirit in my life, and they come to a knowledge of what the Holy Spirit does for them. 
For some people, it does feel like a two-step process. It feels like I found Jesus, but then they have a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit in their life. That kind of is part of my story. When I grew up, I knew I had Jesus, but I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. And so some people, it does feel like a two-step process, but you receive the Holy Spirit when you're saved, even if you're aware of it or not aware of it. But what I really want to focus on today is being filled with the Holy Spirit. The following, how do you get more of the Holy Spirit in your life? If you read in Ephesians 5, Paul gives this good illustration. He says, but don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how does that happen? Go on to read singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about this verse and we have one little question. What does it mean to be filled? And how do you get filled? So we talk about getting filled with the Holy Spirit, what, when, and how. You know you have the Holy Spirit from salvation, but sometimes there's greater fillings of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And how do you gauge I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I know if I'm full capacity of the Holy Spirit in my life? How do I understand that? See, if I ask you if your car was filled with gas, you could look at the gauge on your car and say, yeah, I have a full tank of gas. But I said to you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't exactly know how to measure that. So how do you measure if you are filled with the Holy Spirit? I think to understand if you're filled fully with the Holy Spirit is to understand using Paul's illustration of not getting drunk with wine is to ask yourself some questions. The first question is, am I fully under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Am I greatly influenced by the Holy Spirit? Or am I controlled by the Holy Spirit? See, when we look at Paul's illustration, when he talks about wine, comparing it to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul knows something about alcohol. He knows if you drink enough alcohol, it is going to control every single part of your life. It will influence your thinking, it will influence your actions, it will influence your boldness, it will influence your courage, it will influence your talk, it will influence your equilibrium. It's going to control every single part of your life. And Paul's saying, don't do that, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying to these people, I want the Holy Spirit to influence every single part of your life. Is it influencing your behaviors? Is it influencing your relationships? Is it influencing your temperament? Is it influencing your equilibrium? Is it including every part of your life? That is how Paul says you can determine if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. How much of your life is it influencing? See, sometimes you have the Holy Spirit influencing just a little part of your life, and you know there's parts over here that he doesn't have much influence in. Paul's saying don't do that. He's saying you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in every single part of your life. Paul's saying that the Holy Spirit in your life needs to be pervasive. That means it controls every part of it. Your thinking, your actions, your thoughts, your words, your deed, and even your courage. The Holy Spirit will influence your courage. If you look at the Bible and you look at what happened in the book of Acts, you have Peter in the book of Acts. He's considered one of the most powerful preachers in Acts, three, in Acts 2 and 4. He preaches this incredible sermon. And what happened a few pages earlier in the Bible? Peter denied Christ. 
What happened between the time that Peter denied Christ and the time that Peter preached with courage is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Some, some, all, all of a sudden, Peter, who was a little bit of a coward, had not that best, well, he got in trouble a lot with his mouth, not that good with words. Suddenly, he becomes one of the best preachers recorded in the Bible simply because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you courage. That's how we can be courageous. It's the Holy Spirit in our life. You think of the same thing with Stephen in Acts 7. He was martyred, and he had courage even till his very death. And what I love in Acts 4, verse 13, I read this a couple weeks ago, it says when people listened to Peter, when they listened to the disciples, they were astonished at their boldness. That is a significant thing what the Holy Spirit does in our life is that he gives us boldness where we never would have had it before. See, we received the Holy Spirit when we became into salvation. But we find greater outpourings of the Holy Spirit. We find greater influence of the Holy Spirit by seeking God and by getting ready. The same way that the Israelites were going to cross into the, into the promised land by getting ready is the same way we get more of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to be people that are going to get ready. If we want to experience the fullness of God in our life, we need to be strong and we need to be courageous. And we need to take the word of God seriously. We don't just need to read it. We need to meditate on it. It needs to be on our lips. And we need to obey it as well because we want to be prosperous people. I'm going to give another plug for Wednesday night. If you have struggled reading your Bible and saying, this doesn't seem like easy to do, or when I read my Bible, I don't seem to get much out of it, that's what we like to do on Wednesday night. We like to take a paragraph of Scripture, and we read it together, and we say, what part jumped out at to you? And for Lori, one part might jump out for him, one part her, one part for me, one part for Ted, and we go around the room and say, what part did you want jumped out at you? And then we'll read the scripture again, and then we'll say, why do you think it jumped out at you? And that's the fun part, because you start to see the Holy Spirit speaking to people and speaking to, to Lori of why that jumped out to her, and then Ted's verse something different. And suddenly, in this little group of community, you find the Holy Spirit speaking. It's kind of a good primer, and then you know what? Then you go home, and you start expecting the same thing. See, when we read the Word of God, it's just not a book, a story, but it is something that's living and active, and God speaks to each of us through the Word, and that is how we get ready to live in the promised land. We read the Word of God and let it speak to us and let it speak into our situation. See, today as a church and on a community, we stand on the banks of the Jordan River. We stand on the banks of the Jordan River, and if we take one step, we can experience more of what God has for us. All of us have entitled to living in the promised land. All of us are entitled to every single promise in the word of God. The promise that God spoke to Joshua is the same promise that God speaks to us. God's promise that he will be with us, he wants to make us successful and prosperous, that is a promise for us. But we have to be willing to take that step. We have to be willing to get ready and this year, as we anticipate what God is going to do, we have to take the instructions to be strong and to be courageous and to obey the Word of God and meditate on the Word of God. That is how we encounter the Holy Spirit, and probably the biggest way is actually through reading the Word of God. 
That's probably one of the best ways to really experience the fullness of God. But not only are we just reading the word, but we are asking God to fill us more with the Holy Spirit so that we have the boldness of Peter. And we want to be filled so we are under the control of the Holy Spirit in every area of our life. Some of you, maybe you're struggling some areas of your life. Maybe you're struggling with some problems in your life. One of the best ways is to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with every part of your life so you have more control and more influence by the Holy Spirit. So that's my uh, word of encouragement to us as a community as we get ready for this year. The foundational thing that we need to do is to follow the instructions that Joshua gave. So let me close it with a word of prayer. And then we'll have Greg come up and lead us in a couple songs. As Greg leads us in the songs, um, I know it's easy to start thinking, I wonder what's for lunch downstairs. But during our time of singing and Greg leading you, I love how Greg always says, hey, if you want to sit or stand or whatever you want to do, you do that. And I want you to listen to Greg's instructions because some of you might want to just sit and say, Holy Spirit, how are you leading me? How are you telling me to get ready to receive the fullness that you have for me? And let God speak to you as Greg leads us in worship. So Father, I do thank you for this day. And I thank you, God, that you spoke to Joshua and you said to Joshua and the Israelites, I have so much for you. I have an abundant land for you to live in. I have a land of blessings, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the beautiful thing about the promised land, it had every single thing that the Israelites needed. When they were in the promised land, they lacked nothing. And I thank you, God, that our relationship with you, we lack nothing. And I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to be strong, that you'd help us to be courageous, that you'd help us to be bold. And God, I'm asking for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on each and every one of us so that we would be controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit in every single area of our life. God, I'm asking for any of us that are dealing with problems or addictions that you'd get pour out more of your Holy Spirit on us so, Lord, we can uh, live in the in the fullness of what you have. And God, I'm praying that you would give us confidence to take a step into the future. Lord, some of us might be intimidated. Some of us might be comfortable living in the wilderness. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the boldness to step forward and to live in the land that you have for us. Lord, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for this community that's gathered. And I pray your abundant blessings over each person. Lord, I do pray for people in our community that are experiencing some challenges right now. We think of Lori and her family uh, grieving the loss of her mother and the kids dealing the loss of the grandmother and for Perry dealing with the loss of his wife. God, I pray that your hand of blessings and comfort and peace would be on that family. I pray that they would know without a shadow of doubt that you are with them, that you are being the good shepherd, that you are leading them and guiding them and directing them, and that you, the good shepherd, will help this family through their season of grief and that they will uh, know that you are with them. So God, I just bless this community. I bless this family and I pray that your favor would rest on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.